0: Welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. Brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I'm very excited for this show. Um, Our last episode, we did a uh, show around the Collaboration that Jack's Abbey Craft Loggers did with Wine Stefan uh, for Oktoberfest. Rob Day, the VP of Marketing, came on and was able to talk about this collaboration and the celebrations that they are having uh, in Massachusetts around Oktoberfest. And I thought to myself, hmm, this is a wonderful opportunity to dive into some of the history of Oktoberfest. So I'm welcoming to the show Andreas Kinmar. Um, He is a beer author and historian. So really a fantastic person to speak with on this topic. He has written a couple of books. uh, The first Vienna Lager. uh, He has written the uh, Historic German and Austrian Beers for the Home Brewer, as well as Bavarian Brewing in the 19th Century, a reference guide. So he's both a beer author and historian. Andreas, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So before we dive into the history of Oktoberfest and some of the beers that were served there, um, let's talk a little bit about you. What brought you into the beer world and, you know, kind of a little bit of your background?
1: Well, my main profession uh, is actually software development. Um, That's what i do to earn money Um, so the whole writing about beer and and writing particularly about beer history um mostly came from a personal interest and it's really more of a hobby i mean i I do earn a little bit of money on the side from from my books but that's that's not the point of it i just enjoy the 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 topic i find it super interesting always have been interested in, in history And so I'm combining these these two interests of beer and history into um, uh, some some super exciting research into some of the lesser known areas of, well, German and Austrian uh, beer and its history.
0: Nice. So what what drew you into specifically studying uh, the history of German and Austrian beer?
1: Well, as an Austrian, um, I live in, in Germany though, in, in Berlin. Um uh, beer is kind of like it, it's it's a rather essential part of like everyday life. And um uh, yeah, beer culture I think has a has a high priority, even though it makes you know people actually not think about beer itself, but it's something that's that's always there. So it it it's it's been with me when when I grew up. Um so legal drinking age in Austria, 16, naturally got interest into beer. So beer was just always there. Um, but then at a, at a later age, uh, especially um, after I met my now wife, I grew, got more interested in, in craft beer. Um, and then that ventured into uh, homebrewing because at the time, all the styles we wanted to try basically were unavailable in, in Germany. So we had to brew them ourselves. And then... Because of my interest in in history, I started looking into uh, historic literature and first discovered some some English language literature, literature um, like uh, both both from from the UK um, and uh, the the United States, and it was it was quite interesting. And then I just kept on searching for um, more information, specifically about German and Austrian brewing, um, and yeah that that's that's what it started um at the same time I also discovered the the existing literature that's that's there um especially in English does or it did not cover some of the topics as well as I wanted to and that that um that just gave me some some motivation to just research these these topics more in detail and to write things down I I started a blog where um just wrote things down that I that I came across, not necessarily all history related, but some of it also homebrewing related, um, and yeah. After a few years, um, I I decided to to write and self publish my my own book, my personal book.
0: Nice. And so I I feel like with your vast knowledge, all the research that you've done, um, you know everything that um, you know you've studied. You are the best person uh, to talk, to speak to this subject right now, uh, Oktoberfest. Um, so let's dive in here. So if you could um, take our listeners through, you know, kind of the origins of Oktoberfest. And, and the reason why we're, you know, continuing to focus on this topic is, you know, Rob Day on our previous episode put it best. Oktoberfest is beer's moment. There is no... There's no other beverage celebrated during this time. While I'm sure you know there are other beverages served during Oktoberfest, this is really about beer. And, you know, there's no Oktoberfest for seltzer or anything like that. So... (laughs) Um, this is a this is definitely a, a worthy subject to to dive into. So, if you could give our listeners a little idea of kind of the the origins of Oktoberfest, and we breezed over it in the last episode, so I think it's mm. exciting to kind of hear the story behind it.
1: Mm. So, what some people may have heard is that Oktoberfest started at a started as a wedding celebration. Um, it was when when the Crown Prince of Bavaria Ludwig I. I uh, got married to Princess Therese of sachse Um, That was on the 12th of October, uh, 1810. Um, and in the days after, there were various celebrations, both like official celebrations, um, but also lots of private celebrations. Um, at the time, uh, an NCO, a non-commissioned officer of the Bavarian National Guard called Franz Baumgartner. He had an idea maybe as a celebration for the wedding we could do a horse race um, he was a he was a, a carriage driver of a, of a rental coach as a, as a civilian job he was basically a taxi driver um at the time um even though that that wasn't his 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 job title and his, his superior um, major, major he, he passed on the idea it was quickly approved by the king uh, and so they held a horse race on the 17th of October and allegedly um that, that NCO um, even won the race and that there was the that was the first Oktoberfest it was just um a day of horse racing um, there probably were some some stands around possibly serving food and drinks but none of that is really well documented um, the, the the main event was definitely uh, the horse race and it really shows because The population of Munich at the time was roughly 40,000 people, um, and it was over over 40,000 people that actually attended the event. So it was was an absolutely massive thing. Um, So this this horse race uh, was repeated the following year, um, and it was actually combined with an agricultural exhibition. Um, It was also, for the first time, organized by the Agricultural Association of Bavaria, basically to... To, to show what agriculture in Bavaria is and what its innovations are. And the horse race was, was also integrated into that. And the, the, that association um, kept on organizing it until the city of Munich took over as an official organizer. Um, it did not, um, or it was not um, actually run in, in all years because in, in 1813, there was the, the, the German campaign against Napoleon, which in, in German is called the, the Liberation Wars. They um, were actually switched sides. They were kind of busy with war things. So, no, no time, no resources for Oktoberfest. Um, in, in these few years after this initial horse race, more and more attractions were added. So, there was prize shooting that was added um in 1816 they added uh, a lottery for where where um all the revenue um from it um was was for charity and something that i only uh, learned the other day it this particular like lottery uh, area it it still exists it's operated nowadays by the red cross and it's considered to be basically the oldest stall to still run at oktoberfest and basically has a 200 year oh, cool. tradition um and when it comes to uh, food and, and snacks as uh, our uh, food, like snacks, simple, very simple food and, and beer, um, we have that being served definitely since 1819, uh, where there were uh, 12 different stalls um, that were serving beer. Um, so that that's when beer definitely became a part of, of Oktoberfest. Um and soon after this had to be regulated um so the first regulation of who was allowed to serve beer um was introduced in 1825 um when the city said okay 18 publicans from Munich and and 18 18 brewers and publicans um like who are directly from Munich they're allowed to to serve beer and but we also allow Former publicans from from the surrounding area, like from from the Munich district, from the from the villages around the city itself, uh, the spaces themselves were were drawn in a raffle, so um, it was it was basically random of of uh, who was allowed um, to to actually serve beer. I haven't been able to find out um, how how many people or how many publicans and brewers actually entered this raffle, mm-hmm. um, but it it probably changed around the the earliest document um ab- about which specific beer was served um that that I was able to find is a is a is a map from 1843 where they they laid out all the the food and drink stands um oh, okay. and it still shows exactly uh, tw- 22 stalls um that were serving beer from munich but also from other um breweries from from surrounding towns and th- there were uh, three names of, of breweries that the people like, if, if they know the muni breweries, would still recognize one of them is Hackerbräu. Another one is Pshauerbräu. Nowadays they've, they've merged to to a single brewery, Hacker Pschor. And then there's Löwenbräu. Um, they they served the beer back then. Um, they are still around. Um, there are also other some his, other historic uh, muni breweries on that map um, that people most likely don't recognize by name: Marderbräu, Knorrbräu Oberkandler, Kandler, Unterkandler, singlespielerbräu these, these were all established breweries at the time. Um, and it really, in the in later years, it developed in, into a whole state fair. I think, I think that's how you can best describe it. It, was, it, it became a, a really large fair during the 19th century. Lots of attractions. Um, the food and drink stands were also always there. The organizers themselves. Did not have a high opinion of them. Um, they 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 were considered to be a source of um, rowdiness of of drunkenness, um, and they even had to establish um, a dedicated police station in 1880 uh, because of all these issues. Um, With so all dedicated...
0: uh, like too much like too much crazy partying, basically.
1: Yeah, it was um like I, I found a quote, quote that says the police station had to be established because of gross excesses and the experience that this festival is only used as a carousing opportunity for the working population. Basically, uh, the average show had too much fun and <laughs> the organizers did not quite like that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I will say that portion of the tradition is, you know, I feel like there is a lot of access and... Uh you know maybe overconsumption still today although i've never you know
1: <laughs> yeah i i mean beer has always been uh, very important in in bavaria and especially in munich um but it i would say Oktoberfest, at least nowadays and already since the late 19th century like it was it was one of the culminations of of local beer culture mm-hmm. besides um, like for example, Stark Bierzeit, um, where they also get drunk on super strong beer, um, or the or the uh, Maybok, um for the for the opening of beer gardening season. Um, these I would say are the are the the three big events nowadays. Oktoberfest because it's such a massive international festival, but by far the largest one.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. So as far as the you know, as far as, like, the actual beer that was served, I mean, what, like, was there any kind of, uh you know, tension or uh conflict, you know, over the years as, you know, as the festival progressed and as it became a bigger and bigger and bigger thing? I mean, they're still pretty strict that the beer has to be brewed or the beer has to be produced at a brewery in munich correct or, or am i mm. that the regulations yes. haven't really changed on that
1: well that the, the the thing is um nowadays um it's very strictly regulated um but it it didn't used to be like that um like as, as i said in the 1840s uh we definitely know that that some beer from, from outside was brought in um and i've also um found some uh some some other sources like from the from the um late 19th century early 20th century that that clearly showed that that beer from outside Munich was not an unusual thing mm-hmm. um, it was also all kind of beer um so that there, there wasn't like I, th- I think that I, th- I think the the like stereotypical picture um that still exists especially in the like craft beer space outside of uh, outside of Germany is that it's all Oktoberfest it's it's an amber color beer it's a bit stronger but that is actually a, a relatively um recent um like tradition um that has already been superseded by by a completely different beer um so it's like over over the years it's definitely been in flux and in 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 the early years i would say um it was just regular beer ba- basically Regular end of um end end of like, let's say beer garden season kind mm-hmm. of beer the one that basically some of the last beer that was that was brewed at the end of brewing season, um, uh, brewing season here means that uh, in like uh, until eighteen sixty eight in Bavaria, um, breweries were only allowed uh, to brew between end of September and like. I think it was the 23rd of April. Um, so basically that the last beer that you would brew um would be brewed in March and in April and would go for fermentation and then your in your lagering cellar. Um and it would then sit up till September, October, um, and and serve then. And and there was basically some 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 properly aged beer, but it was it was Brewed the same way so there, there really wasn't that much of a of a variation um in in terms of like styles as we have them nowadays
0: yeah and so can you give our listeners an idea and look i've I've never been to octoberfest it's definitely like a bucket list thing for me but if you could give our listeners an idea of kind of like how massive this is right i mean it's it's broken out into all these different tents but you know even those have you know progressed and changed over the years you know so if you could if you could maybe describe just like how how vast this is
1: it is absolutely massive um i've been there um only last friday um and if i had to guess to to walk from one side of it to the other it's it's at least 30 40 minutes um so it's it's basically this this um this this vast area where during most time of the year there's nothing, and then for Oktoberfest they're they're building up um, all these tents, and it's it's not just the the, the beer tents; it's also lots of rides. Um, so it's it's lots of beer drinking, but also lots of like carousels. Um, uh, uh, yeah, what whatever you know, what whatever um, rides uh, you're. You, you know, from, from, from your affairs, Um, and, and each of these, these tents are also massive by themselves. So we're, we're talking about several thousand people that, that fit in into a single tent. And then there are, well, I haven't exactly counted them, but it's, I don't know, 15, 16, if I had to guess, um, I, I have to admit, I, I've, I've not actually, uh, prepared that beforehand. So, um,
0: uh, no, no, no. It's okay. It's I mean, take
1: t- 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 take that with take that with a grain of salt. But, but <laughs> it there is a lot going on. Um yeah. And there are lots of people. Um. It, 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 it is it is the 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 most massive fair I've I've been to myself. Yeah. Um, I mean, ever, and it's it's absolutely impressive.
0: And from I mean, just from what I understand, each brewery that is allowed to participate has a tent um and i mean I know that there are multiple other tents you know around but the, the breweries that are allowed to participate have a tent and um from what I understand each tent has a capacity of like five or six thousand people or something like that so it is a it is definitely like a massive massive undertaking um so and could you give the listeners a little history on these tents uh, specifically? um because i know that, that they they started out you know fairly humble and over the years they've obviously grown substantially
1: um yes yeah, so the the origins basically lie in the in the beer huts or stalls that were um built there during the 19th century so they they had apparently fairly standardized small huts that covered roughly 70 square meters um and some of them uh, put some 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 tables and some chairs um, outside, so you could you could buy your beer there, sit there, drink it, um, and and that was it. During the eighteen nineties, these huts grew bigger, um, and they they got a bit fancier looking. So they they were like imitating alpine huts, um, rural and alpine farmhouses, um, like a bit of a, a romantic view at. rural farm life in in Bavaria. Um, Others added small towers to to make them stand out a bit more. Um, So it it definitely became something that that grew. And then there was this this publican, actually from outside of Munich, from from Nuremberg, called Georg Lang. Um, He managed to secure five spaces for himself. He got strawmen, um like other publicans from from munich um to enter the raffle for him and he basically then then took over these spaces um and used that sp- use these five spaces together to to build his very first big beer tent um the idea was he wanted to bring as, as many people as possible um and the more people the better of an atmosphere the more beer drinking um he hired um he an, an own orchestra of apparently 30 uh, 30 musicians um he printed um 50,000 lyrics pamphlets so everybody could sing along um to have a good time to to really maximize the, the 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 good atmosphere and to get people to drink more beer and um some some listeners may know it this this particular song that's that's played quite often Song is maybe um too, too 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 much. It's it's just this this short piece of music, uh, and pose der Gemütlichkeit, and then you finish it with zwei drei like one, two, three, drink up, um, and then you you post with, with your with your um and drink quite a lot of um of the beer, and then more music, and then more and it der Gemütlichkeit. He apparently uh, was the one who who added it to the to the pamphlet. Um, and popularized it, and I think it's it's been part of every like Bavarian themed beer festival around the world these days, um, and and that was just a concept that that completely took off, and that's that's what everyone else then imitated, um, and it grew from what we said seventy square meters, um, like fairly small huts into these like large tents for several thousand people, and. Some of these like were proper beer halls. Um and some of the breweries even got famous Munich architects to, to design them for, for them to like fit the the latest um architectural styles um or some some um some some other different like uh, ec- exotic architecture style or or like something you know that look that that looks a bit historic. Um these kind of things um and and they just became these these tents just became an absolutely central um element of of the whole uh octoberfest season
0: amazing yeah and you know so you mentioned you mentioned earlier that there were uh you were able to find uh, a document that showed the the brews that were um served um in some of the earlier years of um oktoberfest um you know and i know that um you know there there have been a couple of years right where oktoberfest didn't happen you know kind of uh during uh major you know world wars or uh more recently during the pandemic mm-hmm. um but uh, especially kind of after you, after you move, after uh, World War II and, and there, there was a lot of different kind of shifting and, um, you know, m- movement, uh, especially with the uh, Association of Munich Brewers to, um, you know really regulate you know what was being served um so could you speak to that a little bit kind of what um what has kind of uh changed over the years and like i said earlier there's you know there's a lot of different beverages served i know i mean germany and austria has some of the best wine in the world so i imagine that that is also served but Mm. um you know beer wise um there are definitely some regulations
1: Mm. Uh, so yeah, basically before um before World War one it was a it was a free for all whoever or whatever whatever the the, the tents um or the the publicans wanted to serve, they basically mm-hmm. could could serve so I've, I found um all kinds of um beer brands documented that have been served through there. Um, there used to be of course the regular Munich brands then they had. German brewed Pilsner. Um, there, there was there was beer from from like there was the original Vienna Lager was served for a few years. Um, you would you would get some some weak beer. You could get Czech Budweiser, <laughs> which nowadays would be absolutely unthinkable. Um, so that there was there was a, an absolutely large variety, um, and only after World War One, um, it 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 kind of. Got limited mostly for practical reasons. Um, so that the organizers would really only make contracts with the with, with Munich breweries as the permitted beer suppliers. They did not set any any standards or, or or regulations on what specific beer types, beer styles could be served. Um, and it was it was also um, that not all of the local breweries um, really took part um, at Oktoberfest. Uh, most famously, uh, Hofbrauhaus, which, like, one, one of the most famous breweries of Munich, mm-hmm. they did not take part in Oktoberfest until the early 1950s. Um, oh, wow! Before that, no, no Hofbrauhaus beer whatsoever um, at, at the Oktoberfest. Um, and what was also an interesting thing is that all the contracts they were all they were always made for a year, so So every year it was renegotiated who would like which brewery would actually take part. Um, this was of course very much driven by the Association of Munich Breweries because they they legally wanted to limit it to their own breweries. Um, but they the organizers, so that which which was the city. They had actual concerns that this could limit them in the future, but they they went along anyway um, with with that, and and it, it basically meant that the association of of, of Munich breweries um, had control, um, well, not direct control, but it, it basically set the standard of um, of what was to be expected, um, and and they then were in this in this. Um, Position where they could set or they could they could decide what beer was served in was of course only theirs. Um and that has then been turned into proper regulations in in the years after. Um but this this is not something like it's it's such a it's such a massive festival. Of course, other breweries from outside Munich also wanted to take part. And so there was this um uh König Ludwig Schlossbauer Kaltenberg, which is actually um partially owned by the descendants of um the, uh, the 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 Crown Prince or later King uh Ludwig of of Bavaria um, okay like who, who like who basically started or was was the reason why the festival was started um and they they wanted to they wanted to take take part in it as well. so they they started up a small group Hub in Munich. Uh, to be able to be counted as Munich as a Munich brewery. but the Association of Munich Brewers, they changed the rules and they said, no, no, it must be competitive and proven Munich breweries. And they said a brew pub um, that can only brew small amounts of beer and would have to get beer from outside. that's that's not what ophoomafest um, is is about. And they said it in the rules and and um, that's that's why that brewery couldn't take part. So they, mm. they went to court. Um, and even the court decided, yeah, uh Oktoberfest is a festival of Munich beer. So it's 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 basically in a court decision written down that Oktoberfest really does celebrate Munich beer and Munich beer only. Um and since then this has been driven even even further. So there, there exists a um a, a, Protection for, for for brands and and like gen, like spe- specific local products in the EU. Um, and one of one of these these protections is is called the protected protected geographic indication, where if you name um, a, a a product um, after a specific place and it, this place has some some like registration for it for a, for a particular. Uh, type of um type of product then it is protected in the eu and um anybody who doesn't um fulfill all the criteria and rules um for that particular product uh, is not allowed to call it that and there are some some hefty fines you you can be sued and so one of them of course is Munich beer and most recently they've they've even created a separate one for Octoberfest beer so the term Oktoberfest beer or anything in the context of beer, with the name Oktoberfest on it in the EU, is is protected through through EU laws. Yeah, um, and
0: listeners, this is very similar to the rules that you know. No, all sparkling wine can't be called champagne, right? It has to yes. come from the Champagne region of France. If it is a sparkling <clears> wine <throat> outside of France, it can be called sparkling wine or Prosecco or Cava, mm-hmm. but it can't be called Champagne. Um, exactly. You know, there's a lot of food ones too, right? There's like Parmesan and prosciutto, and you know those specifically need to come from Parma. Dijon mustard has to come from Dijon. That kind of thing. So this is a this is a very similar regulation, same same regulation.
1: And Oktoberfest beer has to be from Munich um, and be eligible to be served at Oktoberfest. Um, the the rules are actually quite quite specific. Um, so because this is this is a part of part of EU law or EU regulations every everybody can can download um this this document and you have a basically a technical specification um of the what of, of what beer needs to be like in terms of strength in terms of original gravity in terms of alcohol content um in terms of color and bitterness mm-hmm. all these things are written down um it then of course also says must be from a from a munich brewery and the definition what what is a munich brewery it's not it's not just um a brewery that is located in Munich, but it needs to have Munich well water. Um, that means you need to dig down 150 meters um, in order to get to that well water, um, because tap water is from outside Munich. And Munich beer, or beer brewed in Munich um, with with tap water, is not Munich beer. Um, it gets a ridiculous. It gets a bit ridiculous at this point, um, but that's that's just how the how the rules are set, um, mm. and. That is actually something another brewery is currently kind of struggling with. So um, there, there's a, a, like a more recently founded uh, Munich brewery called Giesinger. They are really they really represent the like new wave of craft beer in Germany. They're they're they have a traditional side, but they also do some some pretty good, like very unusual for Bavaria beer styles um I think they I think they have a a, a double or a triple they have saisons. they have IPAs pale ales and they all brew them very well but they they just wanted to expand it they want to establish themselves as a as a proper Munich brewery and they mm-hmm. had to go through all of that they they had to build a new brewery they had to dig a new well um for for brewing water um it's it's all not very uh, industrial, um, but they they're, they're definitely getting in the in the right direction. So they they've at least set um, or they they've made sure um, that they have all these these um, uh, these these basics uh, set up that they can produce Munich beer, and, mm-hmm. and now the next step is they just need to negotiate um, with the city of Munich whether they'd be eligible um to have the beer at the Oktoberfest um they would probably need to find a tent that would serve it or they would need to establish their own tent um which is now is probably also a matter of space um and the most recent things n- most recent newspaper articles that have read this they're negotiating but then there's not really any any progress so I I don't have my um hopes up um that this will happen in in the next year or so but maybe in 5 or 10 years we can go to oktoberfest and also drink the the, the Giesinger oktoberfest beer they they Keep already it. brew sorry
0: no i'm keeping my fingers crossed for that too yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. um they already brew a fest beer they're mm-hmm. not allowed to call it oktoberfest beer which which you can buy in in most Munich supermarkets and i've tried it and it's pretty good so nice. it I'd, I'd I'd happily have that um in 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 a beer tent of theirs. Nice.
0: Well, Andreas, I feel like we could talk about this for forever, but unfortunately, it's come to the uh, end of the show here. Ah, uh, thank you so much for taking the time and um taking us through all of this really rich information.
1: Yeah, I, I think we've we've really only um uh, talked about like the the the, the most basic things. There, there's there's so much more going on like what, one of the things that i'd love to talk about um but yeah that could be a separate show um <laughs> is is the is is the connection of uh, how vienna lager influenced the the amber oktoberfest märzen um and how that is related to like the the the, the, the brewing and malting technologies of uh, of uh, the united kingdom of the 19th century like it, it, it all kind of plays together, um, and it's 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 a super uh, interesting and exciting um, uh, part of of uh, German and particularly Bavarian uh, beer history and beer culture.
0: Okay, you you you've heard it here first. We will definitely have to do <laughs> another show, we'll definitely have to dive into all that is Vienna Lager. One hundred percent. You just hey, you just outlined a whole new show here. Um... <laughs> well thank you so much i really appreciate you taking the time uh listeners if you have a chance um check out um uh, any of andreas's books um vienna lager historic german and austrian beers from the for the home brewer uh bavarian brewing in 19th century a reference guide all um easily available on amazon um this has been another episode of Beer Me. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out at Beer Me Radio on Instagram or BeerMeRadio at gmail.com. We are part of the All About Beer Network. So please check out that website. Um, there are a lot of really great podcasts um, available, a lot of really fascinating topics. Um, but we are available anywhere you get podcasts. Please like, subscribe, give all the stars, and we will catch you next time. Cheers.